human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I chat with the delightful Asia Hassan Damon, who checked in all the way from Amsterdam. Asia is a workplace culture strategist, coach, team builder, workshop facilitator, and the co-founder of Kulturloop, where she gets to put all her expertise into practice. We talk about change fatigue, acknowledging the feelings in the room and the resistance that might be present around them, and the empowerment to build a business from scratch if you really believe in it. She says, you can show up and be human and have a bottom line. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Please enjoy episode 27, The Human Condition at Work, with Asia Hassan-Damon. Well, hello, listeners. I am delighted to have with me today, from all the way across the globe in Amsterdam, Asia Hassan-Damon, who is a workplace culture strategist, a coach, a team builder, a workshop facilitator, the chapter leader at Culture Collective Amsterdam, and the founder of Culture Loop. And I want to just, because the the description is so great on her LinkedIn page, I want to tell you about what Culture Loop is because it is so perfect for what's betwixt us. So she says, Culture Loop was born from a desire to help organizations develop, manage, and engage their people with a single-minded focus to building better workplaces for the future through a mix of creativity, technology, and education. And if that is not the most perfect guest for what's betwixt us, I don't know who is. So Asia, welcome. Thank you for having me. It sounds grander than it is. It sounds quite grand and it sounds quite important, actually. <laughs> um, I, would, I would love for you to talk about in your own words, before we dive deep, uh, what, what Culture Loop is. Sure. Well, Culture Loop is, was founded by myself and uh, two, other, two other humans. And basically, uh, Fraser and I have known each other for years. We worked together uh, in another lifetime at a place um, in Amsterdam. We both come from the world of branding and design. And about two, three years ago, uh, we decided we were done with that world. And we really were done with it because we'd seen sort of all the things not to do in a workplace. And we wanted to somehow affect change and look at how we could use all our experience. And, you know, we spent all these years obsessed with the customer, right? Looking at what customers eat, what they drink, how, what color do they like, how they're going to take that packaging, what are they, you know? And if we just had a portion of that kind of obsession to how we treat people at work, we create better workplaces. So we decided to start Culture Loop with this idea of how do you create more humane and inclusive workplaces? And you know, what, how can you use all that creative thinking, that design thinking that we've had to create programs that are engaging and just build empathy in the workplace because it's needed. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's brilliant and a brilliant way to, you know, you think about energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed, transmuted. Yeah. 
And it sounds like that's exactly what you did, that you took all this energy that went into customer focus and transferred it internally. And uh, which is such a, such a philanthropic thing to do with your energy, I think. And just looking at the range of industries that you've worked in from fashion and retail and consumer electronics and healthcare and alcohol and everything. I, I'm curious because you've worked with so many different sectors. I have the variety, like the different ways that different sectors respond to what you're, to what you're bringing to, to this idea of empathy, to this idea of turning it internally. Like, are there certain sectors you work with where there's more pushback? I always say it's easier to build something from scratch than it is to fix it, if that makes sense. So when, when we're working with startups and we're working with companies that are just sort of at the beginning of their journey, we, we tend to get a lot more open discussion because the systems are not in place. It's not, you know, it hasn't been, you know, everything is not established. When we're working with obviously more established companies, large corporations, there's a lot more to navigate because the structures are in place. There's you know, the systematic issues are in place already. And so to break those down is a lot harder. And I, and, you know, we tend to do a lot of stuff middle out instead of top down. So a lot of, a lot of the work we have done is in the middle management area where you start to affect change from sort of middle down and then hope that from that middle down, you can go to the top, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's an interesting, because so much of what you see, you know, when you're on LinkedIn is all about leadership and and that is a very, very top down idea, but, but you've been finding some success starting at the middle first. Yeah. Because if you can start affecting teams, you know, just individual teams, and that can, you know, it, it, that can start to have a sort of knock-on effect where other teams see these teams functioning better, working better, doing better, they'll, they'll sort of find out what's going on and, you know, managers talk to each other. And so really it's, 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 it's a different, it's a different way of going at it. I mean, I think you can obviously top down is, is great, but I think top down, especially for larger organizations tends to be a very sort of, it's like moving Titanics, right? Mm -hmm. Going top down and they tend to go work with large consultancies who want, you know, who, who have these, you know, they'll go to McKinsey, they'll go to BCG, they'll go to any of these places. And it's just, it, it becomes this big, big mammoth thing that happens. And sometimes it doesn't even happen. In fact, ironically, we've worked with organizations where they've been through transformations, cultural transformations, digital transformations, which seems to be the thing these days, right? Everybody's transforming digitally. And you come in and you ask the layman, you know, just your uh, person within within the organization, you know, what's happening? You know, what, what are you changing? And nine out of 10 times, they're like, and we went through a transformation. Well, what did you change? How has your behavior changed? What are you doing differently? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting, the difference between the lip service or like what is heard in announcements or, or emails and yeah. then what you actually see on the ground floor. And I, I love this idea that you're talking to just like the people at the, at yeah. the base of the pyramid yeah. um, to ask them what it's all about. And I, uh, you know, right before we got on this call, which I'm really interested to ask you about, 
you know, I said, it seems like you've had a lot of experience with empathy in the workplace. And you said, actually, on the contrary. <laughs> and I wonder if you could go into that, because yeah. I think that's a really important thing to talk about, that it's not all, you know, rainbows and sunshine on this. Oh, my goodness. No, no not at all. No, not at all. And also, you know, my my path to this is not a straight one. Well, my entire career is like a more like a ball of wool versus a versus a lovely corporate line that goes step one step two step three so I actually started out as an artist or I went to school as to be a photographer and I wanted to be a documentary um, journalist uh, actually wartime photographer so you know for me people like um, Deborah Kopkin or Mary Ellen Mark or you know even Nan Golden were like my heroes and you know it was all about trying to understand the human condition and I think that's probably where the where the germination of empathy or having empathy or trying to understand empathy started but you know life's life's not a straight line and so I ended up working <laughs> for venture capital doing research and that's probably a whole other podcast on diversity and inclusion because I was uh, all the all the partners were male from uh, Harvard and wow. um, all the assistants were female and um, and so and and then I ended up going back to school and I and I did um, you know I I studied branding and I worked in the world of branding design marketing for the last you know twenty years and I started you know I started in New York I came to Amsterdam I then ended up going to Australia for a while, and then I came back to Amsterdam. So I've sort of had the opportunity to live and work in all these places. And I think what <laughs> I've had probably more stories of, you didn't just say that, or that didn't just happen. Then I did of, oh my goodness, that's so wonderful. I mean, I, I've had I've had some interesting um, leaders I've worked with. I've had some interesting just, yeah, in, environments. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, I worked in the agency world, which is, you know, if, if, if you know, if, if you know a little bit about it, it's very sexist. It's very ageist. It's, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of issues in it still to this day, you know, because that, that's just the construct of how the agency world is made up. Uh, and it's ironic because the agency world is all about communication and it's all about, you know, communicating well and, you know, talking about, um, you know, bringing uh, brand communication out to the world, and yet within it, right? It reminds me of that saying. You know, the the cobbler's children have holes in their shoes. Yeah, right. The 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 sort of blindness to taking care of one's own. Yeah, you know, in the service of profit. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was the lack of also sort of a lot of it. I mean, it's it, that's a blanket statement. Obviously, they they they're bright spots through all of it. It's not it's not all uh, doom and gloom. But I think in general, it was sort of the lack of listening, the lack of understanding, the lack of just empathy in general, and just I mean, some just some shocking scenarios that you know at some point I got to the end of it and I thought, no more. I'm not going to do this. I'm not staying in this world. Um, you know, everything from. <laughs> You know, but I, I, I do, can, can we swear? Can, can we go? Can we go? Oh, yeah. What's what? Okay. So, you know, everything from a boss saying to me, oh, you know, that client, she's being really difficult. What do you think it is? Um, she's single. She's not having enough sex. Do you think we can help her there? To, yeah, that's right. Uh, to, 
you know, creative director uh, shouting at me, you know, and, and, you know, telling me how, you know, you're not allowed to get on this plane and go somewhere because, you know, I didn't approve it, you know, just, just all kinds of stories through my career where, you know, I've, I've had some really interesting encounters or uh, I had a boss in New York who um, used to do his lines of cocaine on the desk and then call me in and say, you know, sort of give me instructions while he was doing that. I mean, in real life? In real life. <laughs> I can't believe that actually happens. Oh my gosh. Well, see, <laughs> see this, this puts the, the fear of God in me to be in the workplace in that way because you know as I told you I, I come from a background of being an, an entertainer and an artist and I have for the most part avoided corporate culture as much as possible although now I'm at this time in my life where I'm like I need to figure out you know what kind of work I'm going to do but this doesn't really tempt me well, this, wasn't, this was I, I don't know if this was all corporate I guess this the more corporate environments were a lot, a lot better, if I, if I can say. They, maybe they didn't have empathy, but they certainly didn't have this kind of, you know, wild side. These, this is definitely, um, a lot of it is definitely agency world, uh, which is, I guess, corporate, but not, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. Not an wow. excuse, not an excuse, but yes. <laughs> and. I'm curious because you've worked in so many different parts of the world, whether your experience with, uh, like with, with culture is different depending on where in the world you are. If you're in the U S versus if you're in Europe versus Australia and how people interact differently. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a huge difference in how you navigate, you you navigate the workplace in all these three places, you know, just all the norms of, you know, what's considered okay at work, what's considered not okay, just even levels of where people are in, in sort of their, their journeys of how accepting they are or not accepting they are. So, you know, the, the U S was probably the, or was the early part of my career. It was when I was young and it was a very, it was was different. It was New York in the, you know, nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, it was probably a more, it was definitely a very corporate culture. I think you, what you did was who you were. It really defined you. It was really, that was, you know, you went out, the first thing somebody asked you was, you know, what do you do and what you did and where you went to school was what, who you were as a person and that was your identity. I think that was, that became less when I moved to the Netherlands because it was not necessarily the fact that what you did for work didn't necessarily make you who you were. There was a lot more of a, a sort of a balance the work environment was definitely different different and you know in terms of having more of a work-life balance the Netherlands definitely is a place that um, has that you know they value that it's um you know it's it's you don't you um it's not just about your work and then you know Australia was a very um it's an eye-opening experience for me because I've never, you know, having, I was born in Pakistan, I've lived in the U.S., as I said, I was in here and then I went there. I've never actually felt like I didn't belong, you know, I've always, you know, obviously I'm not from any of these places other than the fact that I'm from Pakistan, but I've always sort of fit in. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I actually was in a place where I felt like, wow, 
this is what it means to be other. This is what it means to be the person with slightly different skin color in the room or different gender or different, you know, and it was, and it was things like, terms like casual racism I, I heard where I was told, oh, don't, don't be offended. That's just casual racism. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> sorry, what exactly is non-casual racism then? Like, yeah. what is this? So it was definitely an eye-opener. Yeah. It was, um, it was uh, yeah, <laughs> an eye-opener. Well, but it sounds like, it sounds like it, your drivers for, you know, getting into the work that you do now have to do with seeing what you don't want. Like, oh, I don't want exactly. that, I don't want that, I don't want that. So how do I make what I do yeah. want a reality? Yeah, exactly. And how do, how do you make that change, you know, instead of, yeah, how, how do you, how do you help make the change that you want to see? Yeah. So when you were and that was the driver so that is definitely the driver and i think within that a big portion of what some of the stuff that we do and basically for me personally um also within within the, the partnership that we have at culture loop you know the diversity inclusion part of it is huge because it's the you know and that's links to empathy at work right because that's a foundation because if you don't have that empathy and you don't have that sort of ability to listen to be curious to actually understand what the other is feeling you know understand emotions none of that other stuff can happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a building block it's a it's really it is the foundation well i i mean i mean yeah that's the whole idea is that not necessarily to say oh we're all the same i mean we are all the same in that we're human but to really listen with your whole self to the ways in which we're different and uh, and accept it and embrace it. I feel like that's what should be taught from the very beginning in schools. Mm-hmm. That should be taught the way math and science are taught, mm-hmm. and they're not. So, yeah. I'm curious um, about how, like, what what would a day in the life of you know your you, the work you do at Culture Loop consist of? Like, you're you're going into a company. You're, you're bringing a, a presentation, you're bringing a discussion. Well, usually what we do is we're asked to deal with a challenge, you know, whatever that may be. So it could be that, you know what, um, we're having, a, the teams are just not, you know, the team's not working well together or there's, you know, there's, there's something, you know, there's a, there's a niggling issue that we're usually, call, you know, called in for. So it sounds like you know really grand but that's usually the the entry point into any any organization so it's not just a oh we're going to come in and do something um just because it's usually because there's some symptom and that's why we don't have out of the box programs because every symptom is different and so it's about looking at it and saying right okay well for example if you have a team that's not working well together and you know everybody wants to have high performing teams and teams that are you know working well together and collaborative and you know all, all the buzzwords it's like okay well what what you know trying to first of all understand what really is going on and so often it could involve doing one on one sessions one on one interviews it could be a you know combination of depending on the size of the team it could be looking at doing um, surveys so that we can actually understand what is the problem, you know, asking questions and listening. So it always starts with listening, a lot of listening and listening to everybody who's involved in the process. So, you know, the, the really the 360. And then from that, 
coming up with what is, you know, what is the program that needs to be put in place? So is it a series of sessions that need to happen with the group where you actually bring in and you, you do creative exercises where you start to break down a problem or you break down some of the barriers? Is it that there's, you know, that there's certain people who are showing up, certain people who are not, so that you need to do some more, more one-on-one coaching with some of them. One of the things that we, um, we've used in the past and we love is this thing called the emotional culture deck which is basically a set of cards where you go in and you it's sort of got a set set of desired emotions and undesired emotions and that becomes the basis of trying to figure out you know what it how is it that you want to show up at work and not show up at work and then you know link that to what is the behaviors that you want to see and not want to see what are the behaviors that you're currently seeing you know how do those emotions actually even link into what are the values of your workplace or what are the values of your company so, you know, we have, we have different tools that we use and actually the, the guys in, so the emotional culture deck comes from New Zealand and the stuff that's coming out of New Zealand is just incredible. We have that and we have doing well cards if we're doing stuff around health and wellness, mental health and wellness. And they're all card games. Yeah. Finally, it, it, I think we're just drawn to them because our background is visual and we love the sort of the visual aspect of it. And actually the physical aspect, although we haven't been able to do that, given that we've been in COVID lockdown for years, there hasn't been any face-to-face sessions in, in a room. It's all been virtual. Right, right, right. It sounds like uh, utilizing a lot of uh, group therapy methods or, yeah. you know, couples therapy methods. So I wonder, do you have any background in psychology or is it just, it's all sort of self, self-taught self over the years? I am not a psychologist. I'm not an organizational psychologist. It's, it's you know what, I have... It's all through 20 years of managing teams. I've been managing teams for the last 15 years. I've built teams from scratch. I've done a good job in some places. I've made mistakes along the way. I've learned along the way. You know, um, it, I think I was, I was recently reflecting in, in a piece I wrote around how, you know, even how I've managed, you know, how I've negotiated my own biases, right? Because we all come to the world with bias. We we have, and and it and it grows. And one of the things I learned early in my career, because my career was formed in New York, was you show up to work and you just you just work. That's it. You don't you, you're there, and that's what you do. And there's you no part of your other human self shows up. So doesn't matter if you have a kid. Doesn't matter if you have a family. You just you know you are you have to be professional. That's professional. And that, and that was a foundation for how I learned how to behave Mm -hmm. and not the best way to behave because we all are human and we, we have that humanity. And, you know, somewhere midpoint in my career, I remember um, I had somebody in my team who had a, who had a kid and I, and I was a, I was a young mom too. And at some point this person was having a really hard time coping with things and I, I sat down with them and I said you know what's what's going on can we help you and I remember her saying to me you know how can you even start to have this conversation what would you know you know and I said well I've got a kid at home and she was shocked she was like you have a child in the house you're a mom and that was a, and I realized you know because there was nothing that you know gave away yeah that was anything but the person I was at work yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, <laughs> right. Because so I just attended the um, Bloomberg live uh, work shifting summit a couple of days ago. And uh, uh, something that kept coming up over and over again was this breakdown of the line between 
work and life, yeah. right? Where it's, it's not about work-life balance anymore. It's all life. Like there's a, uh, you know, a sort of dissolution of that separation. And what you're talking about is kind of like the complete other end of that, where like yeah. at work, you are just work and at home, you are just home. And I wonder, I wonder what are the, what you feel like are the pros and cons to that dissolution? Because I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's really positive to see, to see the kind of support and like taking in workers as their whole selves. But on the other hand, do you think that there's a danger to there not being any kind of separation? Does that make well, sense? I think, yeah, no, it makes sense. Look, I think the separation is important probably more for all of us than anything else, because I think it's, it's, it's good to be able to say, right, I've, you know, I've, to be able to switch off and start something else. But I think that this kind of separation that I was talking about, that that kind of really, you, you don't show up and share anything of who you are, and you just, you just do your job. I don't think that's, that's healthy. So I think the fact that we're now aware that people are humans, and people have, you know, so many other aspects to them and that you know if some you know an example is you walk into work and somebody says how are you and usually people are like oh, i'm fine i'm good you know now if somebody turned around and said to you actually you know what i'm not, i've just had a really bad morning um and if there was sorry my dog um if there was empathy in the workplace you'd actually turn around and go well you know you'd know that maybe that person's not going to be there 100% today because they've had you know they've had something right. happen and or maybe you try and help them so that they can you know have a better day or maybe you just say you know what today is not the day you maybe you need to go home because you're having such a bad day and you're not going to show up and be your best self at work so i think having some of that humanity in the workplace is actually really important and that's you know that's some of the work that that we're doing which is you know you 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 can't have these complete you know chinese wall these boxes where you just sit in them and that's that mm-hmm. um, yes. but i also think that being able to say this is work and this is personal is important because work is not always personal right and i i, I if that makes sense yes and I think the, the reason why it got me nervous to hear people talking about it on the, yeah. you know, on Bloomberg was, does that give companies carte blanche to expect, you know, everything to suck even more out of their workers? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, the way some tech companies are set up or were set up pre-COVID yeah. where they had, you know, their lounge rooms and their game rooms and all their snacks. And it's designed so that you never leave, you know, but it might be scratching the itches of your, your humanity, but like, but that's just so it can suck more out of you. But, but I understand the distinction that you're making that it's good for the dissolution of that boundary in order to be able to really hear the people at work and know when they need to take a step back or have a break. Yeah. Yeah, and just and just I think to have that empathy, right? Because we all we, we all come come to work with, you know, we we ca- you know we carry our emotions with us. I mean, we are emotional beings. We we come in, we have an emotion, and we and you know if if those emotions are those that are making us feel really not that great, or we're not you know we're not having the best, you know, we we need to be able to recognize that somebody's going through that, and equally as, as somebody who's having that emotion, we need to be able to figure out how we can deal with that so that we can get on 
with work or if we can't deal with it, be able to have the ability to say, you know what, I'm actually not having the best day. I'm going to have to take 10, 10 minutes and walk, go outside and take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll come back and I'll be in the room and that should not be seen as a weakness. That should not be seen as something that, you know, you go, well, you know, don't, don't bring your humanity to work. Right. I mean, it seems like it, it and when was when was Culture Loop founded? We founded Culture Loop in 2019, right before the pandemic. It was such a brilliant time to start a new company. But the work, but the work had been happening in the background before that. So we officially launched in 2019, but we'd both been doing work um, sort of in, in the space. And I had moved away from doing stuff in you know when when I moved back from Australia basically I decided I was not going to go back into this world of uh, branding and design and I was not going to yeah I was not going to continue to do that and I I needed to do you know something had to change yeah well I think it's amazing that was the yeah that was the driver you started it at exactly the right time and something that you know we've noticed at Zany where you know we started four and a half years ago working on this app for slack to bring conversation you know into digital into remote workspaces and then during the course of covid there was just an explosion of new technologies designed to do the same kinds of things so it's like it sounds like culture loop was perfectly positioned to answer the needs of a lot of but it's interesting it's interesting because if i had a penny for every conversation we had well people said my god that's really great and yes it's really important but you know what we're not gonna we're just not gonna look at that right now because you know we've got other stuff to sort out wow really I mean you know people talk about the importance of culture people talk about how they want to change culture people talk about but a lot of it is hygiene factor and a lot of it is the 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 rhetoric around it right so I, I want to be able to talk about it, but do I really want to change it? Because changing it means I'm going to have to put a mirror to myself in front of me because change that change that kind of change where you actually say, right, I'm going to show up and I'm really going to change how we're doing stuff requires discomfort. Yeah. And, you know, people don't like to be uncomfortable. Right. Unless, unless it gets to a point where they don't have a choice. And you know, all the studies show that having empathy in the workplace keeps employee engagement high, you know, empathy in the workplace keeps, you know, people from leaving, just, I mean, burnout. uh, I mean, the statistics go on and on and on. But the truth is that until it affects your company or it starts to have an effect on your bottom line, you don't really do anything. You do stuff. So you'll have maybe have a workshop here and there. You'll, you know, you'll have a discussion. You'll maybe change the, you'll change how you talk about stuff on your corporate website. Maybe you'll tweak your values a bit, but really when it comes to, when it comes to truly driving a change, you know, the tough stuff mm-hmm. where you've all got to show up and really make, you know, be in it, mm-hmm. that happens less. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, it's so interesting. Yeah. I'm glad that you're there to help promote, to to really help promote that change. And I imagine that it requires, you know, a a variety of different tactics, depending on who you're speaking to. Like we, um, the, a lot of the questions that we have come up with for the Zany database come from, you know, a a whole variety of, of, of research. They come from Myers-Briggs and they come from, you know, 
the Ford method of conversation and they come from Aristotle's ethos, pathos, logos, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like, you're making sure that you're touching into all different kinds of brains. And I wonder okay. in, your, in your coaching, if you find yourself pivoting from one method to another, depending on who you're talking to, you know, to sort of read the room in that way. Yeah, you, you have to, because, you know, people, you know, well, first of all, because of some of the work we do, obviously, you know, not everybody shows up to the room happy to be there, right? There's change is hard. And some people want to have the change. Some people don't want to have the change. You know, some people just feel like I have to do yet another thing. And, you know, there's also just a, I think a lot of, you know, with some, with some organizations we've been in, they've done, they've, they've been through multiple change programs already. And so there's change fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think the, the one thing that we try and do when we show up is, you know, talk about the fact that, you know, there is that sort of acknowledge the things that have happened or acknowledge the feelings that are, you know, there in the room so that you can work through that and then start to make a, make a change and, you know, listen, listen to sort of the, if you will, some of the, um, uh, uh, some of the resistance that might be there. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, acknowledge sorry. the resistance, right? So really acknowledge the resistance. And sometimes there's a bit of tough love too, right? That's, that's a word I take from my business partner, Frasier. He always says, there's a little bit of tough love too, where you sort of go, yeah, that's great. But you know what? Now it's time to just do the hard work. So it's, it is that pivoting of, you know, when, when do you, when do you listen? When do you, you know, just, just soak it in. And then what point do you go, okay, now there's going to be a bit of, there's going to be some tough love because we're going to have to do some changes. Well, I mean, you have, you have to, I mean, it's like, <laughs> and how- so it's not, so it's not just all about, you know, yeah, uh, you know, just, yeah. But that, but also that tough love comes from a place of, you know, being empathetic about the fact that this is tough love. It's not going to be easy. Well, it has to do with, I mean, real change is not easy. And it's sort of like when you're learning to reparent yourself, you know, and saying, well, what I would like to do is eat ice cream all day long, but in order to take care of yourself, sorry, you have to have some broccoli, you know, (laughs) same kind of thing. Yeah, completely. Uh, Yeah. uh, I love it. I'm so, so it's uh, yeah, so it is. So I, and also I think the other thing is that we don't, the language that we use and how we how we work through organizations is because we don't come from, you know, an organizational psychology background, psychology background, we tend to use language that's human. Right. So, you know, we will use things like, all right, tough love, or, you know, it's time to, uh, you know, stop the bullshit, you know, or, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes it's like, what? It's like, yeah, you can say that. You can say that you know, enough of the bullshit, enough of the bullshit. It's time to now just, you know, show up and be in the room. (laughs) So I think that's, so I think that's part of what makes us, uh, makes us different too. It comes, it comes from, you know, we're both, you know, we've both been doing that. We've both been working for 20 years and managing teams and navigating, you know, navigating clients and, you know, and so it comes from years of experience. It's refreshing, and I think that it it can help shake people out of their reverie, out of their stagnant brain to hear yeah. something like "that's enough of the bullshit." Because when else are they going to hear that in the office? You know, that's not that's not <laughs> jargon. That's not corporate jargon. That's like yeah. the real deal. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so we, we tend to do that. And which is also why, you know, there's it definitely there has to ironically, there has to be a bit of a cultural fit or at least a cultural level of trust when people do bring us in, because, you know, we're not we're not going to bullshit you. Is it just the two of you? It's the two of us who do most of the um, workshops. And then we have a third person who's our creative head, who's helps with a lot of the design mm-hmm. and and our you know, the next step in our journey is we really want to use the creativity that we've, you know, use all the experience we have in the creative world to, to start to build video games that will help with some of these, some of these challenges, like how do you spot a bias? You know, how do you, how do you do, um, you know, how do you look at um, doing collaboration by having this, you know, playing with the seesaw? How do you, you know, just using those kinds of ideas to create really simple games um, that people can use for starting to have these connections or having, because a lot of it is going to become remote or there's going to be a hybrid work and not everybody will show up into the workplace. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's our, that's our, that's our future hope. I mean, I think it sounds great and smart. And as you said, you know, with all of the other card games, you know, yeah. people will, it helps people engage in a different way if they're not just being spoken to, if they're actually exactly. interacting with something. Yeah. Really using, trying to use um, creative ways in which to engage people too, right? So the workshops, um, and the conversations, the language, the visual, that's a big part of it because we come from visual backgrounds, all of us, all three of us, you know, we've been working in the world of design. We, that visual aspect of how you communicate is really important too. So it's not, it's, I, I, PowerPoints do not exist in our world. Oh, really? <laughs> it's too passive. Yeah, it's too passive. It's too easy to just, uh, you know, throw it together in a PowerPoint and send it. You make me want to come to Amsterdam and just. You sit. are welcome anytime <laughs> to come to Amsterdam when the world opens up and we're allowed to move around again. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a great place, and you know, I I came back to it after having you know traveled here there, and you know, I always you know I, I, I my husband used to joke with me. He said, you know, you you left your first love to come here because he always thought New York was my first love, and I do I do love New York, but to be honest, this really is home. Yeah. And it's a great place. Yeah. I mean, something that you said earlier really moved me, which is that, uh, you know, in New York, which is still the case in New York, the first thing people ask you is, what do you do? And that is sort of who you are. It's just the, it's just the mindset of the city. Mindset. And uh, when I was in Spain, uh, I was at a bar with, with these two women, these locals in, in Barcelona. And they said with a little bit of disgust and resentment, like Americans are just so obsessed with work. And they say it's, it's, they, they thought it was kind of rude that the first thing people asked was, what do you do? As opposed yeah. to like, what do you enjoy? Like, how, how do you like to live your life? You know, what do you do on the weekends? And man, that makes it very tempting to go to Europe. It is, it is, it's really, it, for me, it was a, I had to unlearn and relearn being here because, you know, my, I, I went to school in the U.S. I spent my childhood in and out of the U.S., you know, so it was very much a, you will achieve and you will, you know, who you are is, you know, what you do is who you are was embedded into my DNA. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so I had to, in, you know, and that was a cultural learning too. I had to unlearn that and also be okay with it. And I think it co- comes back to some, you know, fundamental differences in thinking in that 
you know, the idea of, for example, the idea of poverty in the US is very much linked to the fact that you have not worked hard enough or you have not done something right, which is why you're poor. And that's just fundamentally different here, which is sometimes circumstances could make that, but that doesn't mean that you are not worthy. And that's set up in the social systems, right? So in social systems of how healthcare is navigated, how unemployment is navigated, how all those things are navigated is very different. Yeah, yeah, so refreshing. It's so um, refreshing. And so that's, you know, and so that's, yeah, it's it's just, you know, that idea that you, you, you have to, you know, you have, you know, what you do is, yeah, who you are is fundamentally different here. Yeah. It's a big part of who you are. And, you know, I mean, when you own your own business, like we do, it becomes a big part of you. In fact, it's, you know, you, you live and breathe it. I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever not working, but I think it's different because I'm doing something I really love and it's not work. Yeah, the passion project. It's it's really it's a passion project, and you know if especially the stuff that I've been doing recently with uh, diversity and inclusion. I it's not a it's not work. It has to be done. Oh, it, I think it, it has to be done. There's no you know it's, it, it has to be done, and it's really difficult. But you, you have to keep speaking up, and you know even just thinking back to my own experiences, the amount of times I didn't speak up because you don't speak up. Because it's happening to you and you don't speak up because you think, well, what am I going to say? Right. I mean, that's the dream, though, to do work that doesn't feel like work. That just has to be done. That is a passion project. What a gift. What a gift. I feel lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Very lucky. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it comes with its ups and downs, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't trade it in. It's just, it's, it's just, yeah, it has to be done. I always say that it has to be done. Um, and we have to change and we have to start changing the narrative of how we show up at work and what we do and you know work cultures have to start to transform and it doesn't mean that we all sit around in a circle and hug each other you know it's not one or the other it's yes it's a place of business yes we have to make the profits yes we have to you know the bottom line matters but we can also be human and decent and show up and do all that and have a great bottom line it doesn't have to be one or the other and that I think is the, you know, that I think is the learning that comes from, you know, the years of having done what I've done. And I've seen it. I've seen the teams that I've had, which are actually overperforming because they're showing up to work and they have that empathetic, you know, environment and they, and they are being heard and they're being listened to and they are, they feel part of something versus those that didn't, or those, you know, those that I was part of where I didn't feel like, you know, was really being heard. I mean, that's the proof is in the pudding, right? There's more productivity if people feel like they are really considered as a whole human and really yeah. as a whole human. I mean, that's, yeah. that's why I do what I do also. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, you know, more, more and more research is coming out and, you know, it's, it's becoming, you know, it's become, you know, it's not just about some feeling or some emotion or something soft. And I think you and I, spoke about that um, over LinkedIn, I think, this idea of, you know, this this idea of emotional intelligence is actually not soft. It's bloody hard. Yeah. You've got to, because you've got to show up and you've got to look at yourself every day 
and 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 you know you've got to question how you're moving through the world and, and so really those are not soft skills those are really hard skills because those, those are skills that require you to actually stop and think and be self-critical yeah absolutely and those are the skills that are going to be needed more and more as we as we you know move as as technology grows and grows at the pace that it's grown mm-hmm. you know the counter to that is you're going to have humans who need to manage that and manage the teams that manage the technology. Yeah. And yeah. if you can't connect with other humans and if you can't be just, just can't be human, what's going to happen? Yeah. And those, and it's all about just being able to listen, be curious, you know, avoid assumptions, exactly. be able to understand that people have, you know, step into someone else's shoes. Exactly. And have some patience and some grace. Give grace. Yeah, exactly. Give give grace. And you know, I, I always love um, I love Maya Angelou and and you know her her quote that you know people will always forget what you said and what you did, but you know they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yes. And that's and and I and if I think back to my own career, you know, I I will remember through my twenty years all the moments that were not great and great, but I won't remember the conversations around them. I just remember how those moments made me feel. Whether they made me feel happy, upset, you know, angry, and and the emotions I remember. But I couldn't tell you the whole context around it. But I just remember vividly, and you know, and and that's what happens with all of us, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, Asia, <laughs> great. I could talk to you forever. It's such a delight. It was so great to connect. I wonder if you could just let pe- the people know where they can find out more about you and Culture Loop. Sure, we can. Uh, you, you can find us at um, on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find us at uh, cultureloop.com. And it's actually not culture; it's culture. It's a play on Dutch word and uh, English yeah. word. So culture is Dutch, and Loop is uh, English. Nice. And uh, I'm always I'm always happy to um, have a you know have a conversation, answer questions, and yeah. Yeah, engage because the more you know the more people that are out there doing this this work and you know having these conversations the more open people will be to the change Agreed. and the positive change that comes with it right it's not it, it's it's a good thing and uh so i always end each uh conversation with a yeah. question uh, a question that is straight out of the zany database so this would be one of the questions that would get dropped, you know, in the weekly Slack. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for you, I thought, given our discussion, I would like to ask, what is your least favorite piece of jargon that you would just love to get rid of altogether? Oh, how much time do you have? I've worked a <laughs> long time in corporate. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> there is so, I mean, yeah. Gosh, I don't least where do I start I mean the amount of the amount of jargon we hear um in I guess um I'll have to think about that because honestly we have actually you know what somewhere I don't have I have it on my computer we have a list somewhere we started collecting all the words we heard where we thought what do these mean like terminologies (laughs) we thought what does this mean like what are we are we so disconnected with the with, with, what what does this mean and I'm going to have to look it up and I'm going to have to send you some of those that's fine I'll take it the point is we know there's a lot there's a lot yes, there, there's a lot of jargon and I think it's uh I think we've started to tune it out also yeah I yeah well, because, 
because we just we sort of hear it and go what what does that mean no i I mean on the subconscious level you know the brain knows if something is inauthentic and sort of tunes out so yeah yeah i think that's what it is i think we've just started to tune it out i don't know if that's bad (laughs) well it just means that we should be speaking more like human beings you know yeah anyway just more like human beings yeah well asia thank you so much for joining me on what's betwixt us this has been wonderful and enlightening thanks for having me it was a great conversation thanks for tuning in to episode 27 of what's betwixt us stories of working while human to learn more about the great things asia is doing for more inclusive and human workplaces check out kulturloop.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-U-R-L-O-O-P.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after